We'll get ready here to start the sermon. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word this morning. Lord, I'm excited about what you're about to unfold. Lord, this has been a tough one for me as I tried to unpack and look throughout the week and preach it and then turn around and change it and preach it again and change it again and preach it again and change it again. Lord, I've already preached this message many times. So Lord, I need you to preach it this morning. Father, keep our eyes open, keep our ears attentive, keep our hearts softened to receive the word that you have for us this morning in your name. Amen. So last week we talked about who is Jesus. The week before that we talked about what Jesus kind of had done and and through his passion week last week we talked about the resurrection of Jesus. Today I want to jump right in. We're going to talk about what Jesus has accomplished. Because I noticed the other day when I was at Walmart a man bought a little apple tree and I thought that poor man. He, obviously, he has not lived in West Texas very long. You know, I, I was uh, just watching. He was so proud of himself. He he bought this tree. This tree was about this big, you know, a couple of feet tall. And and uh, he was just uh, had it in his basket just a certain way. And he even put some bags around it, some fertilizer bags and other things around it just to keep it propped up until I guess he made it out to his car truck and in the parking lot there. And I, I just kind of watched him take care of it. And I was sitting there kind of smiling in my spirit, if you will, going, man, this man bought something that has no fruit. <clears throat> and the chances of it having fruit are rare at best, but we'll just, let's be happy for the man and his purchase. It's a small sapling, possibly has some potential, but who knows? Like I said, it's West Texas, but he's going to have to water it. He's going to have to nurture it. He's going to have to care for it. He owned it when there was nothing to benefit for owning it. When there was nothing to gain, when it was so small, you couldn't recognize what it was. He knew what it could be before it was because he paid the price for it. He believed in it before he planted it because he owned it. When it was more of a liability than an asset, he believed in it. He had faith in it. Isn't it amazing how God can love us when we're more than a liability, more of a liability than we are an asset? That the scripture says it this way, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And today the big idea is simply this, what has he accomplished? In order for me to unpack everything that God has accomplished for us, we don't have time this one Sunday. I'm going to narrow it down a little bit and talk about the majors that Jesus has accomplished for us. But before you knew the Scriptures, before you said the Scriptures, before you prayed the Scriptures, before you went to church, before you listened to Christian music, while you were still hanging out with the swine, Christ died for you while we were yet sinners. Look, when you were drunk, when you were fighting, when you were divorcing, when you were on the streets, when you were cussing, when you were picking up cigarette butts just because you didn't have enough money to buy a pack of smokes. And some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to tell you the brother sitting next to you or the woman in the back, she probably has an idea of what I'm saying this morning. I know this, that I don't know about you. There are things I've said or done that I still don't want to include in my testimony. I just know that Jesus died for them and they're buried. Bless God. So here's the deal. While we were yet sinners, Christ saw potential. If only this sapling will yield to the purpose I have for them. I'll plant them by the living water. I'll deliver them into the one who paid the highest price for them. There is potential. There's huge potential for my purchase, for my purchase to bear fruit. That's how God sees us, church. John chapter 19, we 
talked about this scripture some in the past, but I want to bring it to the forefront this morning. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, in order to fulfill the scripture here, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth on a hyssop branch. At some point in time, someone planted that tree, and at some point in time, someone cut a branch off that tree, and that tree would deliver something to Jesus, even though it's not what we would like to see Jesus get, not a drink of sour wine, but something, a purpose for that that tree that was planted, a purpose to, to bring something to Jesus. And then when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, it is finished. I've shared this before, of course, comes from the Greek term to telestai. It means you cannot add to it. You can't take away. It's a fulfilled. It's a completed work, but a work that should propel us forward as ministers of the reconciliation. If you didn't listen to the sermon last week, please do, because I ended with that. What is our call to in all of this? We, too, are to be ministers of the reconciliation. Watch, bearing fruit because we have been purchased with the highest price, being God's blood. So when Adam was brought into the garden, let's back this up a little bit. See, when, when Adam was brought into the garden, he's given two instructions in Genesis chapter 2. I think around verse 15. I have to move quickly so I didn't look it up for you. You can look it up. But Adam's brought into the garden. You understand that Eve was, I love to teach this, but we don't have time this morning. Eve was made out of the garden, but Adam was brought into the garden. He's given two commands when he's brought into the garden to cultivate and to keep it. Now, the word cultivate means this, to keep in good soil so that it will produce, to maintain and to weed it, to take the weeds away from the plant so that they don't draw out the healthy nutrients that are there for the plant itself. So he's told to cultivate it. He's also told to keep it. And in the Hebrew, the word keep is very closely related to the point of protect. So he's called to cultivate and protect, to protect it from anything that seeks to destroy it. Anything that seeks to destroy it. Now, so Adam became complacent. You know the story. Adam became complacent, and as it, through his complacency, basically what happened was a serpent entered the garden. So he did not protect the garden. And the serpent found itself in one of the trees. Now, God had planted two trees in the garden. He, he knew that, that they should bear fruit, right? At least one of them. For sure he placed them there if he didn't plant them there, but he, he basically put them there to give us a choice. And there was one known as the tree of life, and there was one known as the tree of good and evil. There's a choice given there. In the New Testament, believers are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. Some might say we are in the garden, or the garden itself now resides in each and every one of us. So in each and every one of us, we have this garden, and there are these trees, if you will. Some of you say, well, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a garden, but I've got these little devils. Actually, I've got a devil on this shoulder, and I've got an angel on this shoulder, right? Which one grows depends upon the one you feed the most. But it's a choice. It's a choice. Adam didn't do so well at this, and sin entered the world, and we became identified with sin. We became identified with Adam. 
But God was on a mission to reconcile the world back to him. He did this through Jesus. So when Jesus says to Telestai, it is finished, he's saying, I paid the ultimate price and I have a hope in you. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is over all, in all, and through all, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. I love this passage because it tells me that God has a hope in us, that we will be cultivated and we will be kept in His promises, in His Word, but we are given a choice still today. Here's what most folks don't understand when we begin to talk about what Jesus has accomplished we tend to have this great understanding of salvation. And so we say, well, we're saved. And I never saw in Scripture where Jesus says, go and get them all saved, and that's going to be very important for us today. He says, go and make disciples. And so salvation is a part of discipleship, but it's not the only part of discipleship. Romans 5, chapter 8, or Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by His death of His Son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall shall we be saved by his life. Now, I'm going to start here with salvation just to say a couple of things. Salvation then would include deliverance by God. Watch, from God's wrath. So you have a sapling, and you take that sapling, and you don't nurture it, you don't feed it, you don't fertilize it, you don't water it. And what happens to this sapling? Eventually, it dies. And it's good for something kindling that's about it it's not going to bear any fruit that's it and so God's wrath let's talk about God's wrath for a minute because we don't like to talk about God's wrath today in time but God's wrath I don't know what it looks like but I don't want to know it because it's ugly now our God is a God of love Anything less than love is not God, but there is a wrath of God. There's an absence of His presence, and if you have the absence of God, then you're going to have all kinds of wrath that's pouring out because our God is a God of love, and when you take love out of every entity in this world, chaos will break out. It's amazing how we want to push God out of everything, and chaos is doing what? Breaking out. There's a wrath there that we're saved from, but, but Christians, listen to me. It's not just being saved from something. Of course, it's being saved to something. Salvation invariably gets reduced to a selfish and self-serving understanding of Christians concerned only with themselves. I was talking to a man a few years ago. Man, he just gave me the best example. He said, you know, I just want, it, it, it's like I want to run around the bases And before I see home plate as heaven, and before I get there, I'm running as hard as I can, and then I'm just going to slide right in. He said, even if I make it by the skin of my teeth, at least I made it. And I reminded the brother that he didn't have skin on his teeth. That's enamel. Probably going to be thrown out right there at home base. That's, That's a terrible thing to happen. But look, if we're saved from something and we're saved to something, church, this is where we wind up. We, we, we wind up hitting the home run. 
over the fence. Now, they're not in a hurry to get around the bases. They're enjoying every step. And that means that when we hit that ball, that, that God right, wants us to have life to the fullness, enjoying every step. Not to say that things won't come our way, but that we would be living life in the fullness of God. How many times we heard prayers from people who pray that, Lord, I just don't want to go to hell. Well, okay, saved from hell. Good for you. Like emphasizing the forgiveness aspect of salvation without the responsibility that really comes with salvation. See, when we are saved, now we, we, are, we enter into the garden. You could say it this way. The garden, as I said earlier, enters into us. And there is a responsibility to cultivate and keep so that in our lives we will be fruitful, church. God has something for us that's so much greater than just being saved from, but it's being saved to. The decision to follow Christ must be coupled with a biblical understanding of salvation. The word saved in the Greek is sozo. It has the basic meaning of rescuing one from a great peril, but this is also what it means. It, it includes these nuances of protection, of keeping alive, of preservation of life, of deliverance, of healing, to be made whole. That's salvation. It encompasses all of those things. So Jesus saves us, but the meaning of saved is greater than just saved from something. We are delivered from something and delivered into something so much greater that brings us fullness of life. So if I ask you today, are you a life giver, what would your answer be? You don't have to raise your hand. Not right now. I'm not asking for testimonies. I'm just saying, hey, sometimes questions provoke things in us that need to be said or stated or thought about anyway. The Israelites were delivered from captivity. You remember, they were delivered from the Egyptians. They, they moved on towards the promised land, eventually inheriting the promised land. But what happened to them? They didn't take responsibility for the promised land. Salvation was accomplished through Jesus, and He invites us into a new place, into a place that is just full of life. It amazes me how many Christians are out there looking for answers beyond the cross and beyond the resurrection and beyond the ascension of Jesus Christ. I just can't seem to find fullness in my life. Well, it's because you have a basic understanding of salvation, not a full understanding of what that looks like. See, salvation is made possible through Christ and Christ alone. We know this, but as we move on in our salvation, as beyond a salvinic experience, we move on to a place of the promised land of life in the fullness of God, then we begin to hear His teachings, we begin to understand His teachings, and the most important thing, we begin to apply His teachings. So when marriages come in, normally what I say is, what does the Word of God say? How can we live that out? How can we activate that out in our lives in order to honor Him? Because life is short. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a moment. When I, when I counsel people who are looking for their call in life or looking for opportunity in life, then we're able to sit down and say, what does the Word of God say about that? How can we bear fruit? Sure, you're, you're saved from the wrath of God. You're saved from the bounds of hell. But 
What are you saved to? What does this look like? What does the Scripture say? How can we feed? How can we cultivate? How can you keep the promises of God in you? See, what do we do with what He's accomplished? Do we sell Him out short with our lives, with our culture today? It's so easy to get caught up in the beautiful weather and forget why we worship the first day of the week. Because we forget what He's accomplished, or maybe we just know that He's accomplished enough for salvation and that's good enough for me, but is it? Are you experiencing life to the fullness? I've got three things here I'm going to end up with. Just to kind of summarize what Jesus has accomplished. Now, I put these in here because they're going to be controversial. I put them in here so that they'll twist us and challenge us a little bit because when I say these, you're going to go, what? But Jesus accomplished these things for our salvation, and salvation is so much, remember, salvation really is the cultivation and the keeping of the promises of God and the applying them to our life in a culture where it's very difficult to do church. But he accomplished these. He overcame death, he overcame sin, and he overcame Satan. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. Have you? Ooh, that's hot. Don't want to touch that fire. But I thought greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's Scripture. And if God has set up his camp, his residence within me, and that's the temple of God, then have I overcome these three entities that are out there supposedly? And they are because it's Scripture. Well, no, in your own strength you haven't. That's the first correct answer. No, I can't in my own strength. But I have to believe in what He's done for me. And as I believe and put my faith in that, He shows me and instructs me that I too can overcome these three. We talk about what Jesus has accomplished. He overcame death. So that that even though our flesh will die, our spirit goes on to eternal life. That we don't die. That our spirit goes on and, and, and goes to Jesus because our faith is in Him. What a beautiful promise. He overcame death. The Apostle Paul says, Death, where is your sting? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Think of this for just a minute. What is the opposite of death? Life. Now you can answer that. I know it's not a Sunday school answer because it's not Jesus. Right? But it's, it's life. The Life is the opposite. It's in opposition of death. And Jesus overcame death so that we might have life and have life to the full to experience life, to live life. You know, as, it, it, as we went through the spring last year at this time, I remember going into the hospital room to visit my mother, and there was a tree outside of her window, and I said, Mom, I said, look, that tree's blooming. She welled up with tears in her eyes, and she said, Oh, son, spring is my favorite time of year. It's just full of life, and I've missed it. And it just broke my heart, and I said, Well, Mom, I don't think you've missed it. God's got something greater and bigger for you. And you'll experience life. I just know that you will. And of course, a month later, uh, she had gone on. Her residence had, had changed from this world on to her eternal residence. It's tough, but I do know this, that, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord because Jesus overcame death. Now, there is a second death, and that's an eternal separation from God. 
A second death that Scripture talks about, we don't want to find ourselves in that category, church. I'm just going to leave it there. Let's go to the second one. He overcame sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Guys, we got to protect this. we got to cultivate this in our heart because sin seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. It's what Satan does. It's what sin does because sin equals death and Satan equals death. It's because of Satan that, that death was instituted in our world as we know it today. You know, one of the most overused phrases, and I say this a lot, one of the most overused phrases by Christians today is this, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. It sounds humble. It sounds right. It sounds good. It sounds just, but it's wrong. We can no longer identify with sin because we are not to be controlled by sin any longer. Now, don't worry, I'm going to give you a way out here in just a moment, okay? Jesus has already provided it. I'm just stoking the fire a little hotter. Because if I were to ask you today, who in here is without sin? Um, now, there's three of you I know that didn't sin today. That's just because you were prophesying or speaking in tongues. I don't know. That's not true. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know this, but Jesus overcame sin. You see, this is interesting to me that though Jesus were tempted in every way, He overcame sin. He never sinned. He took on the sins of the world, but He Himself never sinned. He overcame this. This is what He's accomplished so that we would not have to yield to temptation or yield to sin either. You may say, well, Curtis, in my life, I mean, my goodness, geez, I, even this morning I said a bad word. I didn't mean to, but it just happened. You know, I didn't mean to spill my coffee on my shirt. It just, and then it came out. I just said it. Look, you don't have to confess that to me. Confess that to the Lord, right? First John says this, too, that if we say we are without sin, that we lie and we do not practice the truth. So if Jesus overcame sin, then why do I still have sin in my life? Why does sin still have an attraction for me? Or why am I still attracted to it? It is overcome. But I like to go back to discipleship. Cultivate and keep. This is the way it works. That as we walk with our Lord, He moves us. We don't use these churchy terms anymore because uh, supposedly they're not attractional to the culture we serve. But one of these terms is so, so valuable and it's so rich that we need to bring it back up. It's this process of sanctification that as we walk with our Heavenly Father, we learn His ways we see how He defeated death, how He defeated sin, and how He encourages us to do the same. We walk through this process of sanctification. You may be saved, but listen to me, you may not yet be sanctified. As we walk with Him, as we grow old with Him, as He nurtures us, as we learn more about Him, as we protect and we keep and we cultivate His Word in our heart, we become more and more sanctified, and we become overcomers as well in Christ. See, He already has. We are becoming. We are being transformed, is what the Scripture says. 
And so, of course, we, we can get confused, we can get frustrated. I have people that, that have wanted to leave the faith because they have a besetting sin, a sin that keeps coming up in their life, and they're like, I just can't overcome this. And I have the opportunity to say, well, wait. <laughs> why don't we just wait? And why don't we wait upon the Lord? You know, in Acts chapter 1, the disciples are told there to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then go. Then be my witnesses. And so sometimes we have to wait in the presence of the Lord. We have to ask the Lord to strengthen us. If your father was a great baseball player, professional baseball player, since that's the illustration we started with, we'll continue in it. And, and you know this about your father and you're a son or a daughter growing up. The daughter's wanting to play softball at a collegiate level. She's going to listen to her father and she's going to say, Dad, show me. How can I hit better? How can I hold the bat better? And as he watches her and he evaluates her as she's growing up, what he's doing is he's, he's changing a few things. She's, he's reshifting her habits to be good habits instead of poor habits. He's, he's teaching. He's walking along with her. She's staying close to him. She knows that he's the expert. Well, Jesus is beyond the expert. He's the lamb. And when we're called to walk in discipleship with him, go to church, read your Bible, pray in the Spirit, pray at all times, learning from him and his journey. Before Jesus chose the twelve, what did he do? The Scripture says that he withdrew himself to pray all night and then came down and began to choose his twelve. We learn His ways. We walk with Him. That's a process of sanctification, watch, that leads to a place of holiness because our God is holy. So yes, He overcame sin. And we are overcoming sin. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation is overtaking you but that which is common to God. And with that temptation, He will provide a way of escape. And so as we learn His Word, sometimes we have to pray, Lord, what is the way of escape? You say, well, I didn't know that Jesus ever escaped. Well, yeah, he did. Read your Gospels. There were a couple times where he had to go mix with the crowd because it wasn't his time. He escaped. And so he provides with us ways of escape. I think sometimes because we're more in the flesh than walking in the Spirit or we're more concerned about our salvation being just saved from instead of saved to, that we have a temptation then that seems to be greater than the Spirit living within us. It's not. We just have to learn to tap into that. The third thing, he overcame Satan. Now this is huge. Satan offered him the world in Matthew 4. He tempted him in all ways. Jesus was tempted in all ways, but yet he conquered Satan. He, he put him... In his place, if you will. Satan had no power, no control over Jesus. It looked like Satan won when Jesus went to the cross, but he didn't. It, through that time, through that period, yes, it looked dim and dismal, but Jesus on the third day rose from the dead. He rose from the dead and he not only defeated death, he not only defeated sin, but he defeated Satan. He wins. Now, in his defeat of Satan, this is what I have a lot of people, and this is a theological thing that we're going to talk about here for just a moment. Some of us are constantly praying against Satan in their lives, against the devil in their lives. Well, I don't know the devil made me do it. Well, look, 
here's our problem theologically. The devil is not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-present. He's not an equal adversary of God. He may be an equal adversary of you, but he's not with God. He's not. But if Satan is attacking you, what makes you so special? Sometimes it's just you attacking you. Sometimes it's just poor decisions. Sometimes you haven't cultivated and kept. Now, I'm not saying that Satan's not out there doing something. As a matter of fact, First Peter tells us that he is doing something. Or Peter tells us that he is doing something. That he prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking those whom he can devour. Years ago, I got a phone call about a pastor friend of mine who had failed in the ministry. Now, I'm talking about many, many years ago, 15 17 years ago, a pastor friend of mine had failed in the ministry and um, had an affair. And this person that was talking to me on the phone said, well, it's because he was such a godly man. And because he's so godly, Satan was just attacking him and attacking him and attacking him. And I said, really? Well, the last time I checked on lions, lions tend to attack the weak, not the strong. See, we, we tend to write our own theology based upon who we love and how much we love them and how good of a speaker or how good of a, a preacher or how good of a teacher or how good of an evangelist they are. But the, the, the truth of the matter is, is now, it's not to say they're not, that Satan doesn't have his demons and his demons aren't at work. Ephesians tells us that there's a prince of the air and it's not God. And there's no, I, I said last week that if God's in control of the world, he's not doing a real good job. We have deaths, we have murders, we have cancer rates going up. We have, all these things are happening. Where is God? What has He accomplished? Well, He's looking to work through us. He wanted to partner with us. God partnered with Adam, the first Adam in the garden. It was a partnership. Now look, Adam, cultivate and keep it. And today, some of us are saplings and others of us are 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 starting to grow up and bear a little bit of fruit, and others have walked long enough with the Father that it seems like everything they touch bears fruit. Death doesn't have a sting on them. Sin doesn't have a sting on them. Satan doesn't have a hand on them. See, there's no doubt that Satan and his angels are at work in this world, but he's been defeated. And if you feel like you're being attacked, it's, attacked, it's okay to cast him away or send him away in the name of Jesus because at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. So use the tools. Learn declarative prayer. I believe declarative prayer is something we've, we've got away from in church, but we need to come back to it. Declare. Make a statement. See, Christ in us is the hope of glory. We must call upon the name of the Lord. Years ago, I woke Allison up. We hadn't been married long, so I'm sure it scared her to death. But we were uh, living in an old farmhouse, and uh, we, in the middle of nowhere, I've shared this before as far as where we lived. You know, Arnie, I was the mayor. It was a split boat. Just Allison and I boated. But <laughs> I went to Scripture, and the husband's to lead the wife, so we did that. And I continued to mayor. But I woke her up one night. We were, I was in a wrestling match and I was actually sitting on my knees and had the covers bunched in my hands and I was just, just shoving it, shoving the covers and 
hitting the 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 bed and she's like oh my gosh you know hey curtis what's going on you know well what happened was the day before i'd gone to an old house that was up the hill that had been vacant for years and years and years and years and my german shepherd dog went with me and my horse rode my horse up there we went in and uh into this house and it did it just felt dark and dismal and uh, my dog ran up the stairs and here in a minute this fox comes flying down the stairwell and uh, my dog right behind it, you know, and I sat in that house and I thought, man, this just feels so awkward. Well, in my dream, I was in that house. It was kind of a barn looking house, just old wood and everything around it. And in that dream, I, I dreamed that Satan had me by the legs and he was trying to pull me down. And I was saying in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Now I was in a fight <laughs> with Satan. Does that make Satan real? Possibly more real to me. But as far as was I fighting him, I just knew that in the name of Jesus he would be defeated because he is defeated. Look, I, I like to say this, that Jesus in you is stronger than anything out there. Salvation includes so much more. Healing, delivered, blessed, prospered, protected, made whole, set apart. All those things are God's salvation. All those things are cultivating and keeping us, church. Our born-again experience is, though it's complete, our journey into lordship has just begun. Listen to this statement. I'm going to end with this. We don't experience all of these in an instant, even though we receive them in an instant. All of these being delivered, blessed, prospered, protected, made whole. All those things that are so-so. We don't experience all of these in an instant, even though we receive them in an instant. This is what Jesus has accomplished so that we would learn to cultivate and keep those things in our heart so that we would produce and reproduce 30, 60, 100 fold that we would bear fruit, church. And be fruit bearers. I will say this. Today, if I see Satan attack many times, it's the body through the church creating doubt, looking for ways to make us less than what we're supposed to be, looking to steal our fruit, if you will. So let me ask you where you are today. Are you a sapling today? Are you in good soil? God believes in you. He has a hope in you. You have been purchased. What choice will you make today? Are you more of a liability than an asset for the kingdom? Listen, it can change for you this morning. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. He's looking to do a work. He wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to live lives to the fullest. Jesus took the excuses away and made the way. He conquered death, sin, and Satan so that we could live life in the fullness. My grandmother cooked me a meal before I left for the army. I went over and it was she and Papa and myself. And as I was sitting there, she teared up and started telling me about her brothers who served in World War II. And I just reassured her, oh, grandmother, it's fine, you know. Things are a little hostile around the world. It'll be fine. And no sooner did I say that than on the TV it broke out that we were bombing Iraq. Shock and awe. And I was leaving in three days. And she started crying and, and she got so upset. And I remember her praying over me and praying protection over me and all of these, these things. Uh, uh, three days later I would leave. 
And when I went to go, and I asked the recruiter to step out. I wanted to speak to my family about some things. The recruiter stepped out and spoke to my family and just said, you know, just shared a few things in my heart. Hugged them all, told them I loved them. And my mother walked with me to the door. The recruiter was sitting out in his car and she turned me around. She said, I love you. She said, now listen, you live your life. Our God is a God of life and not death. And she said, so don't be afraid. You go and live. You know, I didn't realize that she was speaking to my future. Jesus has overcome. What has he done? He's overcome sin, Satan, and death so that we will have life and life to the full. Would you please stand? If you need prayer this morning, I encourage you to come forward and receive prayer. That's cultivating the soil. It's cultivating the soil. It's making it rich to receive. It's protecting you. Sometimes, you know, He's called us together, not alone. Lone wolves are vulnerable. He's called us together. So this morning, if you need prayer, just know that we're here for you. Father God, I just pray for the one that feels they need you the most, as well as the one that feels they need you the least. Father, I pray for those who have picked up cigarette butts just to have a smoke. But they've been delivered in such a way, Father, they can't help but shout. They can't help but declare. They can't help but protect and keep what you've given them in Christ. Father, because it's what you have, you've accomplished. And in what you've accomplished, Father, it walks, it sustains us, it enriches us for life to be lived. Father, sozo, salvation, healing. There are those that need healing, Father. I want to ask for them to come forward. Father, I pray for, because salvation includes that. Salvation includes deliverance. There are those that need deliverance from a besetting sin, a sin that just has attached itself to them, and they can't see a way out, Father. Your word says, confess your sins, therefore, to one another, and you will be set free. Father, may we be a church that practices what your word says so that we will grow and be enriched and bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.